precious name of Jesus. You know that last song, thank you for that, Jesse. Jesus calls us. As I looked at that song and as I was sitting in the Sunday school lesson this morning, it goes so well with what I, where I am thinking of going this morning. And especially this last verse, Jesus calls us, by thy mercies, Savior, may we hear thy call. Give our hearts to thy obedience, serve and love thee best of all. And the verses that challenged me as we, in the Sunday school this morning, were those verses of us dying of us being sold out, of us knowing where we stand in this life, this Christian life. And it was a challenge to me again. This morning, the title of the message is Hold Fast. I don't know what you picture when you think of holding fast. This is not the idea of you getting on a, you might be on some truck or vehicle that's moving and you're hanging on, standing on the back maybe of a pickup and you're just hanging on. That's not the idea here this morning. Just, I mean, you know, if I lose grip, I'm gone. No, this is the idea of taking a stand and knowing where you stand, and standing there, and not being moved. That's the idea. You can take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at the fourth church in, these, in the seven churches that John was addressing in the book of Revelation. At least these first, or these two chapters here. And I'm going to be honest with you that I have already stepped on my own toes as I studied this message. Okay? So, I come to you this morning trembling because of some of the things that I am going to share this morning and I trust that I can be balanced, could we say. Because there's some hard things in here. Let's begin reading in verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which search, searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other, none other burden but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star, 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I was wanting to, and maybe by the next time I can have a map drawn up of how these churches were and the progression as you went geographically with these churches, you had the Isle of Patmos was, and I didn't study into this, but the Isle of Patmos was out in the sea. And then the first church that we looked at, or the first church is Ephesus, which was a port city. And from there we went north up into Asia Minor, got to Smyrna, which is also a city on the sea, was a city on the sea. <coughs> Excuse me. And then from there, we went north again, but more northeast, and went inland to Pergama, or Pergamus, Pergamum, I think is what it, the map I printed out here, but Pergamus, the church that we looked at last. Now we're moving southeast, and if you have maps in your Bible, you can maybe look at that, but we're moving southeast a little bit, about 50 miles southeast, 40 to 50 miles southeast of Pergamos is where Thyatira was. It was a city located on a trade route between Pergamos and Sardis, and we're going to look at Sardis possibly the next time. Its modern-day name is, and I did have this as a pronunciation, Akaisar, and I might not be saying that right, but that's the modern name. It is in, over there in Asia Minor. Thyatira means unceasing sacrifice. And it's interesting to note that Thyatira was a city that was subject to enemy attacks. Because of where it was, it was actually a buffer city, and they tried to hold the enemy until Pergamus, to the northwest, could get their army together and could defend their city. They did not, Thyatira did not really have any defenses built up. They were out in the, in the plain there, in the rolling plain. So they were constantly... Um, un, they were constantly the ones that became, came under attack. And this unceasing sacrifice, they were constantly sacrificing themselves for Pergamos. <clears throat> With it being located on a trade route, it was a commercial city, and it had what we would best, what would best be known today as um, unions, trade um, trade guilds, guilds. In other words, every industry in there, which they had textiles, they had industry in textiles and wool and leather and bronze and pottery, each one of these had their own like union. And in order to work there, you had to be a part of that. And these trade unions had their own gods. So if you were a part of working in that industry, whatever it was, you had to be in subjection to a certain extent to that God or do what was, you know, what they required. And it caused a little bit of an issue, if you can imagine, being a Christian, that would cause some issues. Because you are now serving as a Christian, you are now serving the God of heaven. And all of a sudden, you still are going to work but now what are you going to do? Your allegiance is no longer here. They were also known for the dyeing industry, particularly purple. If you want to, you can turn back to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read a few verses there. And on the Sabbath, in verse, starting in verse 13 of Acts 16, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized her house and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, 
Come into my house and abide there, and she constrained us. This is when Paul had that vision, if you remember, of the man standing by him saying, a man from Macedonia saying, come on over. And Paul goes over, and when he's over there, <coughs> I believe it was at Philippi, here is this lady, Lydia, a seller of purple. But she was from Thyatira, which was known for its dyeing um, process, its dyeing industry, and particularly purple. In 1973, the city had a population of 48,000, but however, by that time, there was very little traces of Christianity in the city. And the population in 2022 was at 177,419. That was in 22, just a few short years ago. So it is a thriving city yet today. It's also a place where olives and almonds and tobacco are grown, and it has different industry going on there. Where and who the city was introduced to Christianity, we don't really know. All we know is when we go back to Acts there, we have Lydia coming from Thyatira. We don't really know, was she the one who went back, and that was through her influence, we don't know, and we don't know, was Paul the one who actually brought Christianity to Thyatira? It doesn't, it would seem like that could be the case, but we don't know. It was a Roman city, and therefore, there was idolatry in the city, as we're going to see. That was Thyatira. So, once again, a very wealthy, commercial, you know, a lot of things going in Thyatira. <clears throat> in verse 18, we have Jesus being described here. He has eyes like unto flames of fire. It's interesting because if you go to verse 23, what does he say? He says, I am he which, what? Searcheth the reins and hearts. He has flames of fire. His eyes, they pierce, they see. Thyatira had some very serious things going on. But Jesus, with his eyes of fire, could see in to the hearts of men and see what was going on. You know, he can do that today. We all know that. You know, if you have fire, it drives the darkness away. And with his eyes of fire, he could see what was going on in the heart of mankind. Right here in Thyatira. And he still is saying that to us today, sitting right here. Let's move on to verse 19. Again, we have the familiar verse, which we have, or the familiar phrase, which we've had, I think, in every one of the other churches so far. I know thy works. Take that as a comfort. Jesus knows your works. That is, if you are doing works that are according to God, according to what Jesus is asking. Jesus sees what we are made of, and He sees what we're doing. They had love, notice, and they had patience. They were in it for the long haul. Jesus is commending them here. They also had faith. And then we have this word, and I skipped over it already, but we have the word service, and that's the same word as deacon, and it has the idea of stirring up dust. Okay, so they were busy doing things. <clears throat> that's a good thing. However, I would like to say that I'm wondering if maybe the church at Thyatira, Jesus is commending them here, and he's saying this, 
And you have to realize that back in, or over in verse 24, he's not condemning all of them at Thyatira. He's only condemning some of them. There was a remnant in Thyatira that was actually serving Jesus, actually living for him. They were actually sold out to him. But I'm wondering if here in verse 19 that there was maybe some of this where they had all these things together. They had all the committees going and everything was going good. They were doing service. But it was a cover-up to make it look good. But in the meantime, they had this Jezebel that was running things. You know, how are we today? Do we have it all looking good? And we have all the, we have the service, we have the patience, we have the faith, we have the love. But let's remember, I'm not against committees. But let's, you know, we have these to make sure the church is running smoothly like a smooth machine. But remember, the church is not a machine, it's an organism. It's a living, breathing organism. And the last phrase here where it says, and the last to be more than the first, is actually also saying that they were growing in Christ. They were not where they had been when they first found Christ, but they were growing in Him. You know, they had a lot of things going for them, but there is a possibility that some of these things in verse 19, they were actually using as a cover. And making it look good out here, but back here, there was a bunch of things going on that should not have been going on. One thing I do want to point out here is that we should always look, and this is what Jesus, it seems like, I, I found this in my studies, it seems like Jesus was looking for the good in people, and we should always look for the good in people and commend them, even if we must address some things in their lives. Even when we see sin in their lives, or something in their lives that's not lining up, we should be looking for some of the good in someone and encourage them and build them up. Yes, we're going to have to address the sin Jesus did. But let's not just get in on get hard on someone because of their sin. But let's look for some of the good in a person. <clears throat> Jesus did that in these next few verses. He did address this sin. In verses 20 to 23. We have a woman, and I know we don't like this woman. We don't like this name. We don't like this Jezebel. And I want to say this. You know, you women, you hear that and you say, oh no, I don't hope he's going anywhere here this morning. I'm going to say this. Jezebels are on this side of the aisle as well as on this side. Okay? We're going to look at this woman Jezebel, and I don't think that this necessarily, there was actually a woman in Thyatira named Jezebel. There, there's a possibility there was, but I don't think so. This, I believe, is the spirit of Jezebel. This woman Jezebel, who was she? From the um, Webster's Dictionary, Jezebel means in, impudent, Shameless or morally unrestrained woman. I want you to now turn back to 1 Kings chapter 16. And we need to look at this woman, Jezebel. But I'm going to say something. We're going to look at her husband, first of all. I'm going to read in 1 Kings 16, and we're going to jump around here in 1 Kings, a few chapters here. We're going to read verses 25 to 32. 
of 1 Kings 16. But Amri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did, and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, of Amri, which he did, and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Amri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. And in the thirty and eighth year of Ahab, Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Amri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal, and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Who or what is an Ahab? I want you to think with me. There is in this story of Ahab, and we will, if we go to, ver, go to chapter 17, we have Elijah coming on the picture. All of a sudden in chapter, in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah, here he is. We hear nothing of Elijah before that. It's like he just, right here he is. But there is three things that I would like for you to look at this morning that we would like to look at. You have the spirit of Ahab, you have the spirit of Jezebel, and you have the spirit of Elijah. And we, as we look at this story, these were actual people that actually walked on the earth. But there is a spirit that, was, that came from each one of these people that I believe is still alive today, may I say. Okay? After all, we have 1 Kings, and then we go all the way back to Revelation years later. And what does Jesus say to the church at Thyatira? You have that woman Jezebel in your midst. <clears throat> so I would like to look at Ahab first of all. Because there's a spirit that Ahab had that is wrong. And I would like to say this, like I said with Jezebel, Ahab can be on both sides of the aisle here this morning. I will say that most of the time we do see the Ahab here with the men and the Jezebel here with the women. And I'm going to try to here for a little while, we're going to look at it as a man and a woman, husband and wife, but then I also want to look at it as the church and the world. And I'm hoping I can keep this all together. Ahab means marked with the nature of his father. There's one thing I would like for you to realize. Ahab was a man without a backbone. Okay? That is Ahab. He had no backbone. What did he do? He walked in the sins of his father. He followed him. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to follow your father, but that's exactly what Ahab did. And in verse 32, 32 no, I'm sorry, verse 33, it says, He did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than any king before him. But he had no backbone. He doesn't know where he stands on things. He has very little to no convictions. He is tolerant. He doesn't want to lead. He doesn't like conflict. That is an Ahab. That is who Ahab is. <clears throat> and so what I'd like to say is before we get hard on this woman Jezebel and we start 
calling her out. You know, we need to realize that the reason we have a Jezebel is because we have an Ahab. Ahab wasn't a leader. And I wonder sometimes. He followed. It seems it was easy for him to follow. He was passive. He did whatever someone wanted him to do. You know what passive means? It means allowing or accepting without resistance. Whatever comes along, I don't need to resist. He can't stand up to what's wrong. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 21. We just want to get another picture of Ahab. We're going to read the first four verses. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. What do we call that? Fairly childish to me. I mean, come on, Ahab. What do you think? You can't get what you want and you go into your house and you lay yourself on your bed and you turn your face to the wall. And you grow up. Isn't that what we'd like to say? You know, we get hard sometimes. We get hard on our on, on women because we say she's a Jezebel. And while that may be true, and, and we'll get to the spirit of Jezebel, I believe the reason we have a Jezebel is because we have Ahabs who are empowering them. Because Ahab had no backbone. So what was he doing? He wasn't being a leader. He wasn't taking a stand. You know, Ahab could have Way back there, he could have repented of the sins of Jeroboam and of his father and all of that. I realize we don't have it in Scripture that there was the opportunity given. But he could have done that. He could have not married Jezebel. But because he wasn't a leader and he didn't know where he stood on things and because he was just wishy-washy, going through life, whatever pleased him, whatever felt good to him, That's what he wanted. He marries Jezebel. And she comes in and takes over. And he follows along. And he doesn't care. Oh, I'll do whatever she says. This is kind of neat. This is neat over here. And I'll do this. And we'll allow Baal to come in and we'll do this. And he's not a leader. As I was preparing for this message, I listened to a message... That was preached a few years ago of a message on where are the men? You know, men, we tend to fairly easy just become like an Ahab. And we have women, we have our wives. Some of them, just all of them, want a leader. They want somebody to just make decisions and to say what goes. But because we're washing, we're, we're, we don't have a backbone and we don't really want to lead and it's just kind of hard to make a decision and it's just this and it's just that. We are actually causing them to, they're finally saying, you know what, I don't know what to do so I'm going to make a decision on this. And then we start saying, oh, well, she's a controlling woman and she's a Jezebel. I'm sorry, I think sometimes the problem lies with the Ahabs. Because we're just not taking a stand. And we're empowering them. 
and we're actually causing them to do things they don't want to do because we don't want to take a stand. We have men today who are sitting on the sidelines and allowing Baal worship and all kinds of evil to go on because they don't want to be leaders. No, I'm not here to blame, put the blame on the women. I wonder sometimes with some of the immorality that's going on in the church of Jesus Christ today among men and some of the sin and the idols that men, and I'm going to talk men, are hanging on to today is because they are not taking a stand and they're not willing to take a stand. And so the women are having to make decisions for the family and make decisions in life. And the men are into gross sin because of it. It's time we wake up. It's time we see who we, what we are really doing. Ahab allowed Jezebel to have control. It was convenient to do this. It was a path of least resistance. You know, most of the time in Ahab kind of looks like maybe a false sense of humility. He's just kind of walking around and, oh, well, yeah, okay. And, I mean, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't. You ask him a question, well, I don't know. Because he doesn't want to make a decision. They're afraid, and they don't dare say anything because the spirit of Jezebel will set them straight if they do, and so they allow sin in. <clears throat> that is the spirit of an Ahab. Now let's look at the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel is someone who is working behind the scenes a lot of the time and making things happen that way. Jezebel was the one who brought about this Baal worship. Yes, it may have been there, but when he married Jezebel, she took over because he allowed her. In first, we already read it there in 1 Kings chapter, 30, or chapter 16, verse 31. He took the daughter of Jezebel from this heathen king and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Also, in 1 Kings 18, 19... We have this. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. She was the one that was teaching these prophets. She was the one in control. Not Ahab. And then another passage I would like to look at where we really get this whole spirit of Jezebel comes out fairly strong is if you're still there in 1 Kings 21 verses 5 to 16. We may not read all of this for the sake of time, but let's begin reading in verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise, and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his, with his seal and, set the letters, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And the men of his city... Even the elders and the nobles who were, in the, who were the inhabitants in his city did as Jezebel had sent unto them and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. And they went on. I think we're just going to cease reading there. But they went on and did what she said. You see what the spirit of Jezebel does? 
I'm in control. I've got this. I want to be in control. And notice what she does. She writes letters in Ahab's name. Okay? That is what the spirit of Jezebel is. Jezebel was the one turning the head of Ahab. Throughout, I believe we could say throughout the whole kingdom. Throughout his whole, throughout his whole reign, I should say. She was the one turning his head. She was the one making the decisions. Could we say. She was the one who had these prophets and was teaching them. Jezebel is someone who is undermining authority. And we need to realize what the headship order is. And this is now talking again back to man and woman, husband and wife, or however we want to put it there. What does 1 Corinthians 11.3 say? But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. The Godhead, the headship order is God, Christ, man, woman. Not, this doesn't give you men any right to just be a Lord now. But that is the way the headship order is ordained. Someone with the Jezebel spirit is someone who makes it look like the headship order is, order is in place. But actually, actually, she is the one making all the decisions. She hates authority manipulates, is deceptive, proud, and feigns repentance. That is the spirit of Jezebel. And like I said, it can be, um, it can be men and women. <clears throat> the issue is, is that we need to stand up and we need to take a stand, and that does not mean that you now have to say, okay, I realize that I have the spirit of Ahab, and I have been wrong, so I'm going to stand up, and I am the one in control now. No, you need to lead as a servant, and be a leader, and make decisions, and ask your wife what she thinks of this. We heard it the other night at, at, this, at the um, Sweetheart's Banquet. So now I would like to bring this and I would like to look at how is the church today? You realize that today I believe the church is too many times acting like Ahab. And we are allowing Jezebel, which is the world, to make our decisions. Because the church is not willing to take a stand. Do, do we know, and I'm just going to make this as a general thing, do we know where we stand when it comes to Christianity? I wonder sometimes if we are acting like Ahab did on Mount Carmel. And I'm just, I, we can't read it for the sake of time, but we'll read some of it here in 1 Kings chapter 18. I have a few verses, a few different sections of verses here. <clears throat> and we'll just jump into this story. You know what happened. Ahab, or Elijah had come and it, didn't, it hasn't rained now for three and a half years. He comes back to Ahab and he says, Ahab, I want you to come with those 850 prophets and we're getting up to Mount Carmel. And we're going to see who... Um, well, let's read it here in verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. The spirit of Elijah is someone who is not going to be looking for controversy. He's not necessarily. He's not looking to make a big scene. He's not looking to make a big splash. But Elijah knows where he stands. And he's going to say something if it must be said. But he's not going to tolerate sin. That's Elijah. Okay? It's interesting that sometimes the spirit of Elijah in a moment of weakness lets Jezebel run it. Okay? It happens. But anyway, Elijah, he sets this up 
In verse 22, he says, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. They take these two bullocks, and just for, just for a little background here, Mount Carmel was, was a site that, that was considered a sacred spot for the, prophet, for the god Baal. Up on Mount Carmel, the Sidonians or those, the Phoenicians, they held Mount Carmel as a sacred spot for Baal worship. And Ahab probably thought, hey, great, we're going up to Mount Carmel. This will be nice. Baal, he's known to, you know, that's a sacred place for him. I think we've, we've got a chance here. We're going we're gonna to show up here, and this is going to all work out good for us. Baal was only, or was also, interestingly enough, the god who supposedly sent fire by lightning. What does Elijah do? He says, the god who answers by what? Fire is the god. You know, I wonder sometimes if in the church we're also okay with going to Mount Carmel because we think we have the advantage. Some of the idols that we're worshiping, some of the things we think, oh, that's okay, come on, Lord, you can come show if you're strong here. It's basically what Ahab was doing. Anyway, they go on with this thing. They, Elijah, they decide that, you know, it's decided that the prophets of Baal, they're going to have the first go at it here. Elijah lets them go. They kill the bullock. They have him there, and these fellows are dancing around. It's getting... It's getting pretty bad. They're cutting themselves. Elijah starts mocking them, laughing at them, saying, hey, he must be on a trip. I mean, what? this isn't working. And then in verse 30, Elijah comes and he says, it was time for the evening sacrifice. And he came near and all the people came near unto him. You know, all this while, the people were watching, and they're saying, it's not working. Something's not right. And Elijah comes, and he repairs the altar of God. He asks for some water to be brought. They fill up the water, or they, fill, they pour water over the altar. It fills the ditch around it. And then in verse 36, and it came to pass at the, time of the, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And boom, a fire fell. Licked it all up. Water and all. And all the people fell down. They worshipped God. And they, or they worshipped and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is... The, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Is what they said. Elijah takes, says, Hey, you take these prophets and you go kill them. And they killed all the prophets. And then what happens? Where does Ahab go? Ahab sees it all. Ahab goes back to Jezebel. You know, I wonder, Ahab's up there. God shows what's going on. And I wonder sometimes if we don't do the same thing. We're going through life. We don't know where we stand. We're letting Jezebel run our lives. And then we get called up to Mount Carmel. And we say, okay, this will be good. But we come away from Mount Carmel and we do exactly what Ahab did and we say, wow, that was cool. That was neat. That's all the more we say. And we go right back to Jezebel. And we go right back to letting her run it. Ahab didn't repent. He went right on living in his sin. How about us? You know what Jesus is saying here in Revelation? 
He's saying you have to get rid of her. You have to rid her and get, get her out of your midst. And I believe Jesus is saying that to the church today. She's not allowed in the church, and may I also say she is not allowed in our marriages. <clears throat> Jesus gave her time to repent. It says here in verse 21 of our text that I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. And then he goes on and he says this, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. He is going to cast her out. He gave her time to repent and she hasn't. And he says, I'm done. I'm finished with her. And I'm casting her out. Along with those who follow her. You know, today we need men and women and churches with the spirit of Elijah. He knew where he stood and he wasn't afraid to stand there. And he wasn't afraid to open his mouth and to speak the truth. Where are you and I at? We must have the spirit of Elijah, brothers and sisters, and take a stand. And men, may I say this and be a little hard on you, you must stand up and you must know where you're at and where you're standing and what you're doing in life. You know, it's so easy for us men to talk about our things our hobbies, our idols, the things we enjoy doing. And don't get me wrong, it's okay to have some fun in life. But let's take a stand and know where we stand on issues in life. Because Jesus goes on in verse 23 and He says, I am the one that searcheth the heart, the reins and the hearts. These verses, we've, we have other verses, Psalm 7 Verse 9 says this, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish it just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 10, which is right after the verse, verse 9 of Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and what? Desperately wicked. And then he says this in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And here he says, I will give unto every one of you according to your works. God, Jesus is going. He's trying the reins. He's trying the hearts. Allow him to work in you. Now, I've been fairly hard on you. I would like to now just switch a little bit here and go to verse 24 and verse 25. Not everyone in Thyatira was following after Jezebel. Not everyone was. It says here, notice the wording here. It says, it calls it a doctrine, number one. And then it also says, which have not known what? The depths of Satan. That is what the spirit of Jezebel will do. It is satanic as they speak. And then Jesus says, and I would like to say this to you, those of you who are walking with Christ, you know where you stand. You are willing to take a stand. You are willing to do anything for Jesus. You're not willy-washing through life, you know, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. You are willing to take a stand. You're willing to be a leader. You're willing to submit. And you're willing to go where He's asking you to go. He's, I would like to say this. Jesus is saying to you, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do is this. Hold fast till I come. Take a stand and stand there. And don't move until I come. He's coming again. And we'll just quickly go through the next few verses here. It says in 26, that him that overcometh. Again, we have this here where the one who overcomes. Isn't that an encouragement to you this morning, friends? There is, the, there is, there is a day coming where if you remain faithful, you will overcome. And he says, you will, be, you will reign with him. And then... In verse 28, it says, And I will give unto him the morning star. 
You know, right now it might seem pretty dark, but the morning star is coming. Morning is coming someday, friends. It's coming. Remain faithful. Don't give up. <clears throat> the morning is coming, and we will be home. Where are you and I at today? Are you an Ahab or a Jezebel? God is looking for men who will stand. He is looking for a church who will stand and hold fast. <clears throat> Shall we rise for a closing prayer? Father, as we look at your word again, we realize that once again, as we compare our lives, as I compare my life and look at my life and look at your word, it doesn't always look so good, Lord. We realize that as we look at your word, we also see that there's some hard things that are said. But I pray that this morning, Lord, you would help us, give us the courage to just stand. Give us the courage to remain faithful, to not give up. I pray for this congregation, Lord, that as a church, we would rise up. We would stand. We would say, this is where we're going to stand on this, and we won't be moved. And Father, that we would get rid of the spirit of Ahab and the spirit of Jezebel out of our midst, Lord. And we would be that faithful bride that someday You're going to give us the morning star, Lord. We're going to reign with You someday. Morning is coming someday, Lord, for each one of us if we remain faithful. Bless this congregation. Lord, thank You, Father, for them. And I pray that each one of us would not give up. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen.